This episode of Talk Speedway is brought to you in association with Wilson Craig Jewelers. To shop their huge range of jewellery, diamonds and watches, check out wilsoncraig.com. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Hello and welcome to Talk Speedway's My Life in Speedway, where we have another superb guest upcoming. Uh, Graham, this is one I'm really looking forward to. It falls right into our era of growing up watching Speedway on Sky Sports, uh, watching all the boys, all the kind of great Britpop era uh, of Speedway, as you like to put it. And it's, it's one I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, myself too. Uh, Paul Hardy, of course. Uh, a guy that I think maybe got a lot bit overshadowed back in those days, you know. Britain had sort of multiple world champions across, um, you know, across the Grand Prix, across under twenty ones, and and that team of, you know, Javi, Screen, Moram, etc., etc. But Paul, you know, as accomplished a motorcyclist as any one of them, a, a heat leader in the top weed uh, league, sorry, a British Speedway, the European champion grass tracker, podium on the world long track. I can't imagine there's too many guys that have got that kind of CV. Absolutely, and you've built them up perfectly, Graham. So let's hear from Paul now. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. So we welcome Mr. Paul Hurry to the Talk Speedway podcast. Paul, thank you very much for joining us for My Life in Speedway. Now, like many of our guests uh, that we have on, this seems to be a running theme. I think everybody that grew up through Grass Track, we somehow managed to get them on My Life in Speedway somewhere. Um, but with yourself, uh, I'm kind of interested in that because you're you're probably just as well known for the Grass Track stuff as what you are with the, with the, the shale uh, sport as we, we would watch. And obviously myself and Graham, not many two grass track, not many two grass tracks or long tracks, kind of north of Manchester. So we've not we've not actually seen a lot of that. But growing up, what was how did you get into the sport? Was it the shale first or was it the grass first? Um, well, evening everyone to start with. Um, yeah, no, I first got into it. Obviously, my dad was a grass track rider, um, and he was quite successful. Um, so he, he probably wanted to steer me to the grass track. Um, but when, well, as far as back as I can remember, um, my dad used to work for Goddens. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, there was obviously a group of riders like Gordon Kennett, Malcolm Simmons, all these guys were sort of using the, the Gordon engine. Um, and Gordon Kennett was our next door neighbor. Um, so that I think because of, Obviously, grass track was just a ritual for me. Every Sunday, we'd get a grass track with my dad since the, I think I was three days old was the first time I went. Um, but with Gordon, it was obviously different for me because it's all big stadiums and loads of people, bright lights. And obviously, that excited me more than what grass track did because it was something different and new. Um, and so we went down. So my dad carried on riding for quite a while. Um, and I started playing football. Um, and one of my mum's friend's sons was actually um, Damien Matthews. He played for Chelsea, and he was a couple of years older than me. So he would take me to football while my dad went off to grass track, or his parents did. So it was, for a long while there, I wanted to be a footballer. Um, and it comes to a weekend. I think dad's grass track meeting got called off, Um and he said to me, do you, do you want to go and ride in a grass track at the weekend? And I said, yeah, but Dad, at the time, I, I've got trials for Tottenham on Sunday. He said, well, it's up to you, mate. If you want to do that, you can do that, or you can can do that. But obviously, being in amongst it, I wanted to go and ride my motorbike because mm-hmm. it was something different. So that's the route I chose. I went and rode the, the grass track on the Sunday um, and enjoyed it. Um, but then, obviously it put my dad into a quandrum because then I wanted to race, but he was still racing. Um, so then I, I think I'd done two or three meetings that year. That would have been probably 1983. Well, then the following year, I was obviously that bit much older. Um, dad was still racing and my mum took me to a grass track, for youth meeting. Um, and I can remember my gear lever dropped off or something. My mum didn't have a clue. Um <laughs> And I was only probably, yeah, nine or 10. And Paul Lorham, Mark's dad, come up. And he said, I'll tell you what, bring all your stuff over and park next to us and I'll keep an eye on, on you, or to me, mum. Um, so they fixed me bike and away I went and had a, sort of a good day. 
and ever since that day, we had like a good friendship with with Paul, well, the Paul Mark's dad, Paul and Mark. Um, so that's I sort of we had a bond then. Um, and then the following year, my dad said, "Look, if you want to do it, I'm going to give up racing, um, and we do it properly." Um, and at the time, Mark was just moving into the 250 class at the time. So my dad said to, to Mark, look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to stop riding the 350 next year. We'll get it sleeved down to a 250 and I'll sponsor you to ride in the 250 class. And so it rolled on from there. And then obviously with Mark doing that, that freed up his grass track bike for me to use on the speedway. Um, and that was all tied in with Mark being mascot at Hackney when Dave Pavitt and Terry Russell in charge. Mm-hmm. So then obviously when Mark signed as a 16 year old in 1987, he moved up into the team and then I stepped in and was a Hackney mascot. And that's how it sort of rolled on from there. So, and then of course, 91 would have been your league debut um, with Arena Essex as a, what would have been 16 year old at the time. And, you must have thought life was easy, you know. First year in the league, and, and I'm pretty from memory was that the that was the kind of the old conquering team, wasn't it? That went on twenty match on beaten runs and, and that kind of stuff, and, and a week tight on your first year. It was, it was, it was really strange because I didn't actually start the season because I wasn't sixteen until the 9th of April. I think I missed two or three meetings, um, and then that first meeting was on my sixteenth birthday at Milton Keynes. Um, and it's, it's strange because I was obviously at number seven, I think I was, but Gordon Kennett was number one for Milton Keynes at the time. Um, was, and obviously growing up with him, it was, yeah, it was, it was strange. And it was, I was sort of out of my comfort zone big time because obviously leading up to that, I was practicing and doing whatever I was every week. But when it comes to that first official meeting and you've got to wear a helmet colour and you've got to be on time, it's just like, whoa, this is, it's like starting a new school or going to a bigger school. It's, a daunting experience but yeah the, the people that I was sort of around um Bo Peterson, Alan Mogridge, Andy Delvin, um Jan Peterson it I couldn't have asked for a better team really um and obviously where dad was working at Gardens we already knew Bo Peterson quite well um so yeah it was sort of a, a family from home sort of thing. Did, did you find that those guys because you were so young and probably um Maybe to use your words, the kind of bright, the kind of bright lights and stuff like that. Did they guys kind of put an, an arm around you and kind of look after you at that time? And what's advice kicking about as well? They did. Obviously, Bo was a big, big help. Um, and Alan Mogridge, I couldn't have asked for a better captain, really. Um, I never forget because obviously, where I was doing the mascot job at Hackney for I don't know four or five years, I think it was, and going there every Saturday practicing. I think people assume that that's automatically where I would. have gone or signed as a 16 year old um but obviously I didn't and it was a bit controversial going to, to Lakeside down the road or Arena Essex as it was um and the first visit we done there I think it was my second race um their number one was Tony Olsen at the time and I think Pavel Karnas a Czech rider was number two a Mogo team rode me to a 5-1 over them too so that was my first ever sort of race win at Hackney against them too, and it was, yeah, I'll never forget that. Yeah, and then, I guess you kind of mentioned it there, you know, Hackney, you mentioned your debut was at Milton Keynes, um, Wimbledon would still be going Arena Essex, you know, what a London scene there was at the time compared to now, and that must have been great, I mean, I'm kind of a bit before our time for travelling to Speedway matches, but you read the guys that were able to go to a Speedway match in London, or within the surrounding areas every night of the week, um, it must have been a great time to be a part of that scene as well. Yeah, it was. Um, and <laughs> it's only the other day when we was, we was coming back from um, the Wolverhampton meeting, obviously, where I up Scott. We were sort of reminiscing a little bit. And you don't appreciate at the time, like, yeah, we had Hackney, Arena Essex, Wimbledon, Rye House, Eastbourne, all in that area. And it, it was great. Um, and you always had the camaraderie with all the supporters as well. and. It was cool times, but it it's just so sad when you think back now to what's gone and and, and what's left. It's it's just yeah, you, you can't quite believe it really. And of course you moved on um in nineteen ninety two. 
Uh, I'm going to make the assumption just because Speedway is a numbers game, as 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 we say. I mean, you ended your first season we're in Essex with a, with a five and a half point average. Was the move to to Peterborough in 1992? Now, obviously, that turned out to be a godsend considering what he's achieved that year. Um, but was that just simply a case of the the numbers didn't add up for you, Irene Essex? Um, <laughs> it was that they wanted to tap into the <clears throat> the top league that year because um, obviously they had that success. They wanted to step up, and and at the time they said, "Will, will you come up with us?" And I was like, well, "I'm not really ready." Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, Peterborough was probably my worst track. Um, and I'm always, I sort of believe that if it's difficult, you've got to go there and, and get your head around it. Um, and so, yeah, obviously at the time, it was the first year that James Easter and Peter Oakes took over Peterborough. Um, and they made an inquiry into me and, and that was it. That's why, why I went there. Yep. And then again, another clean sweep of trophies, you're 17, you've got two league medals hanging in the, the cupboard already and you know, you're riding with the likes of Jason Crump every week. You must be thinking, this is the easiest game in the world. It was, it was different. Um, <laughs> that first meeting of the season, sort of meeting up with everyone, Mick Paul, Stephen Davies, um, yeah, Jason. And obviously Jason, Jason was fresh as well. That was his first year. Um, and I'll never forget, I think it was a touring team from Sweden, Ross Bagana was our first meeting at Peterborough. And I, I watched the first date and I'm thinking, Christ, this is bloody quick. I'm not going to be able to do this. <laughs> and I sort of you know, shit myself a little bit. Um, but then afterwards, it, we settled down. And yeah, again, like with Mick Paul and, and Stephen and, and Jason, we all sort of bonded and got on really well. And another team that you, we're friends for life again. You know, you, whenever you bump into each other, you always have a chat and reminisce. And yeah, it's just, it's, it, that's what's good about the sport, isn't it? It's, it's a big family, really. Absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned a, a name there now. When we spoke to Ollie Allen, he was wax lyrical about the, the influence that Peter Oakes had on him uh, in his early days at, at kind of Peter Brown. Obviously, the guys you mentioned there, you were all fresh um, into the sport. Um, how much an influence was Peter for yourself as well? Because, we, we, as you say, Ollie was saying the, the, the advice that he gave him very early in his career and he's still getting advice from him now. Um, was that the kind of same experience for yourself? Exactly the same. Even, like you say, even today, like I, I quite often speak with Peter. Um, and the, the, the biggest thing back then I, I find isn't around now is loyalty. Yeah. They would sign you as a 16-year-old or 17-year-old and you felt safe. And if you hit a bit of a, a patch where you was only sort of scoring twos and threes, they would say, what's up, mate? Like, what, did you need help with anything? They wouldn't put you under pressure and you would turn it around. And I think that's what's missing now for the youngsters. It's, I know it's more of a sort of cut thrust, but having people like Peter around that showed you a bit of loyalty and a bit of guidance, and he, he can probably see it mm-hmm. looking in at what you're going through and how you're dealing with things. Um but yeah, I've, I've sort of said it a few times now to people. Them, them sort of people, we should look after. Yeah. People like yeah, Peter Oates, Len Silver, the people that have been there, seen it, and seen it at its best, and they want to put a bit back into the sport. And we should really open, sort of welcome with open arms. And then obviously, maybe moving away from some of the, the team glory, nineteen ninety four. You were British under twenty one uh, champion. Kind of, what were your memories of that night? Was there was there any kind of defining moment in that night where you thought, I've got this, I've got this one? Not really. Um, I'm never one to sort of feel like that. I always feel that I, like at any point, if you lose concentration, you, your guard's down, you can, it can slip. Um, but I do know that the winter before that, at the end of 93, I went to South Africa um, touring and I think I was with Justin Elkins, Chris Manchester and a couple of Polish and Czech riders. Um, and being away from home at such a young age, it made me grow up and sort of stand on my own two feet. Um, and I think that played a big role in, in the way that I developed in 94. Um, because I had to sort of find things out for myself, talk to people. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of just made me a bit more confident and sort of, Believed in myself, I suppose, a little bit more. 
Absolutely. And you, it's interesting, there's something you said earlier as well when you were speaking about the, the kind of Peterborough kind of side of things, because I think the, the probably silly notion that I've got in my head is that the fact that kind of Peterborough is so kind of big and maybe I've got association with grass track being big and a bit gnarly and stuff like that, that that would be one of, that would be actually easier to adapt to. But when you won at that kind of stage of your kind of speedway career, um, that you kind of preferred the kind of Kind of smaller tracks like it in Essex. Yeah, that's, yeah, um, and it's a it's the same old story. It's the English syndrome, I call it, because we all <laughs> we all grow up on little speedway tracks, and we yeah. can all we can all go into a corner and turn it. And we, we've probably got some of the best styled riders out there, but obviously, when you go to the places in Poland and Sweden, as soon as you turn, you scrape all your speed off, so it has the adverse effect. Um, but yeah, when I went to Peterborough. I started doing that. I kept locking up in the corners and that was one of my bad habits. Um, so going there, that was the idea is to sort of iron out a few of my problems on the bigger tracks, try and keep my wheels in line and start sort of yeah going forward a bit quicker. Um, and it did help me on my grass track as well. It, that helped no end. Um, but then when I went back to sort of the Royalses and the Arena Essex, I, I did struggle a little bit, but eventually I'll get me around it after a ride or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then after a couple of years at Peterborough, then it was back to, to Arena. Um, the year I kind of wanted to ask you about was 96, so that was, you know, kind of rebranded as the London team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was obviously the, the year the, the Grand Prix was held there as well, wasn't it? As part of the London team, and it was the one where Golub famously got his head taken off. Um, kind of what was that like to be a part of, I guess, a big push in marketing and, and trying to rebrand a a team and, and was that an exciting kind of place to be at the time um not really um I th- it, it was sort of all marked out to be obviously we was at arena essex in in 94 95 but then obviously hackney had been demolished and that's where they put that london lines was obviously where the hackney track was um so we all sort of went back there with terry and ivan the same obviously the same setup at arena expecting it to be the same as what it was and it, it was never going to be because obviously the track was a lot higher than what the terracing was um and there was never really a good atmosphere around the place um and if if anything if i'm honest the track was probably too perfect because the corners were the same width as you went into them as you come out of the corners and all the way around so it was two perfect straights and two perfect corners which made it very square and very hard to sort of make different racing lines and nine times out of ten, if you made a good start and, and got going, there's very many people that couldn't sort of get by you. Absolutely. Um, forgive my ignorance here, Paul. So would that have been so it was 96, was that the first year that you had jumped up into the top league then as well? Yeah, well, I think it went all one league that year. Oh, yeah, so it did. Sorry, that, that yeah, I think it was all one league that year, yeah. Yeah, so essentially the kind of when you went to kind of Kings Lynn 97 and obviously onto Oxford in 98, 99, that was kind of the kind of step into the kind of elite league at, the, at that point. Did you, did you see a marked difference in, in the standard as you were making the progress through your career at that at that stage? Um, I did, yeah. Um, although I probably didn't focus on it enough, I just sort of got on with the sort of task in hand that was in front of me um, and just took it in my stride, really. Um but yeah, when I King's Lynn wasn't such a, a successful year for me. I, I think I, I'd done the ligaments in my knee at a qualifying round at Oxford, and that put me back a little bit. Um, but then, sort of 98, 99, when I got settled at Oxford, that's when I sort of tried to buckle down a little bit and score a few points. Yeah. And then, you know, individually again at that time, the start of a run, I think it was at nine British finals in your career. And- you know, two podium places, 98, you were third, 2000, you were second. You must have been sick of the sight of Chris Lowy by the end of those two. I think he was the one that was on top of the podium in <laughs> both of them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a question I was thinking, and myself and Scott, you know, being the age we are, and, and kind of, we always talk, everyone has their golden age in Speedway. So for some it's the six or something, for us it's probably that late 90s, early 2000s, Sky Sports, bit of Britpop kind of era, you know, in the Premier League, Stoney, Sean Walsh, those kind of guys. But what an era for British Speedway. So even, you know, get on that podium twice in fields, it would have been Loram, Havelock, Green, Louie, you know, it all. It, it must have been some achievement and you must have been really proud of that. 
it was. And obviously going to watch British finals when I was younger, um, just hearing the, the crowd with the air horns and everything, you had that sort of buzz about the place and you, the butterflies were flying. Um, and yeah, the, obviously the first year I was, I was at Oxford, um, or no, no, the first year was 94, I think I was, I was at Arena Essex then. Mm-hmm. And although I qualified for it, I, I just felt that I was a yeah, big fish in a little pond, I suppose. Um, so I just took it in my stride. And then there was a couple of more visits there. But then in 98, I sort of felt ready. I felt like it, I was at that level now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of helped when I sort of done a few Ace of Aces grass meetings where sort of all the top riders went there. And I never used to put any expectation on myself. I just sort of treated every, every race as it, as it was um, and just done the best I could. And that first British final that I made the podium, I just went there and each race I took in my stride and just done the best I could and and went with it really. Absolutely. And the, the like in two thousand, obviously you as you say, as Graham mentioned there, you came second in the in the British final. But also also you you were part of an Eastbourne side uh, and you actually qualified for the Riders Championship and when I looked down the, the lineup, it's actually incredible. I think every single rider above you at that stage was a, a Grand Prix rider, maybe with the exception of Scott Nichols. For again, forgive my ignorance if I, if Scott was a, a Grand Prix rider in two thousand. I don't think he was. No, but no. every every other rider in, in that field uh, that finished above you was a was a Grand Prix rider. Did, was that an occasion where you felt like the the pace was maybe a, it was a, a was a bit hotter? I mean, you didn't disgrace yourself scoring seven points, but that was it was such a hot field. Uh, when you look at some of the names and some of the world champions that kind of finished ahead of you at that point. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, again, it was just one of those meetings that I went to and just done the best I could, really. Um, I never really got phased by sort of riding with sort of them sort of boys. Um, and I always, like, obviously, I was, I was quite friendly with Malcolm Simmons and he used to come with me quite a bit to the big meetings just to help me a little bit. Um, and... He would always say to me, Paul, if you're on a grass track, you could probably beat all these. Mm-hmm. So that gave me the sort of belief that I could probably do it on a on a speedway bike as well. Um, and to be fair, like I was just happy to be a speedway rider. Yeah. Um, like since I was, yeah, since I, like I said, I was three years old, all I wanted to be was a speedway rider and walk around with an colour on. <laughs> <laughs> so being in those sort of meetings, it was a dream come true. And yeah, like I said, I just sort of tried to do my best and enjoyed myself really so sorry to cut you off graham but ju- just to kind of pick up on that you said that uh you never really got got kind of phased but when i look at some of the names that's in that as well it's probably guys that you can either grew up with or raced against in grass track as well so in essence it's just guys that you know and guys you see on a, a regular basis to me and graham as fans you go wow look at these kind of grand prix stars and stuff like that but to yourself these are just your mates you're just exactly you race with and against yeah, you're right, because like, when I was 14, I think I was, um, when Dad sponsored Mark, he also sponsored Joe Screen. Mm-hmm. So it's quite often they would come down to me and we'd be down the local sort of lake fishing or riding BMX bikes. And so for me, I, it, I was probably more comfortable in those meetings with those boys around me. And like you say, with, with Scott being in it as well, we grew up on junior grass track. Stoney, he was obviously around, so was Sean Wilson, Avi. So it was... It was strange because we was all mates. We was all racing against each other. So it was more, dare I say it, fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and enjoyable as well. So it, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool, really, them times. Yeah, and do you think, and, and, and correct me if my timeline's off here, but obviously you always had grass track, long track, a little bit, but then came on maybe a, a wee bit later on the world stage. Do you think in a way that the fact that you were such a, a, a multi-class rider you were across the three different um, skill sets did that maybe just hold your speed way back a little bit because I think maybe your guys like Mark etc they would have been off in Poland and Sweden and, and Grand Prix every weekend by that point you had a little going in, in Poland and Sweden but I guess for you your calendar when you looked at if a team from abroad came calling you're like well actually between British league riding between grass track between long track it's already looking pretty full yeah obviously um the start of the season, I'd always agreed to, to ride for the, for, I think it was Chester Cobra I rode for, and Smedina um, in Sweden. 
I'd always agreed to ride for them, but they would never guarantee me that many meetings. They just said, oh, when we need you, can we call you and can you can you ride? Because we've we've either got Billy or or Mark or Scott um in Sweden and then in, in Chester Cove, I think they had Mark and Screeny. So again, we're all we're all close mates. Um and obviously then I'd go away and, and fulfill my sort of grass track commitments. And like I had good support there with uh, Mick Potter with all my grass track equipment um and Roger Maynard. I always felt that I would be more loyal to them for investing in me to do the world long track and the European Championship um, than sort of waiting for the phone to ring for Poland and Sweden. Um, but the, the meetings I did do over there, I enjoyed and I scored quite well. So in hindsight, maybe I should have sort of put the grass rack on the back burner a little bit and concentrate more on the speedway. Um, but that's something that I'll probably regret in the future looking back. Um, but at the time, you just think you're doing the right thing. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And and like I say, all I ever wanted to do from a young age was be a speedo rider and sort of a grass track rider. So and, and that's what I've done. goes back to what you said previously, though, Paul, doesn't it? The loyalty in the sport. Um, when you let think back to those kind of Peterborough days and then you're applying that to your your own sponsors, et cetera, as well, people that are investing in you. I suppose it's, it, you've got to show that level of, level of loyalty back. It goes both ways. It does. And it, I, mean, I can remember once there was a time when I think we had a rearranged knockout cup meeting with Peterborough at Exeter. Um, and I'd already done a contract to ride in a Berks Bonanza grass track in Oxford. And obviously my sponsor was dead keen on grass track and he loved it. So in the end... Peter and James organised it for me that the, the speedway started at 10 o'clock, I think it was, on a bank holiday Monday. And they'd organised a, a three-seater plane to fly me from Exeter to Oxford for the grass track in the afternoon. Really? Um, yeah, I've done it. And I don't think, I'm, I think I missed my first two rides at the grass track. But I still got there and, and done the best I could. And, it, it, you know, they put their faith in you and are loyal to you, then you should really... You, I feel that you, you should do it back. 100%. And is that something in it? Maybe I actually half know the answer to this, but I'll carry on with the question anyway, because you've talked about how much that you just loved riding your bike. That's what you want to do. And the fact that you could make a living out of it and or travel the country and do all that. Looking back now, though, do you ever feel that your career as a whole is maybe a little bit underappreciated by people looking in on it from the outside? Because, you know, I can't imagine there's many people with the CV you've got off, you know, multiple league title winning speedway rider that, that, you know, raced up to heat leader standard in the top league in the UK, European champion grass track, podium place on the world long track. I imagine there's a pretty short list of riders with that CV. And, and you think, you know, maybe sometimes Paul Hurry, Paul Hurry gets overlooked compared to a screen, a Havelock or a Ram, just because of what they did in speedway. Um. Not really. I always sort of still look up to Mark, Joe, and, and Avi, and they've always been like Mark and Joe are like big brothers to me. Really, whenever if ever I'm in dire straits or I needed anything, I know I'd, I'd only have to pick up the phone to him. And to a degree, same with Avi, really. Um, but I've always looked up to him. You know, to, to win those world titles and obviously Screenies was a world under twenty one. Like full, fair play to him. The commitment they had to put in to do that and dedication. Then, yeah, I, I don't sort of. Sometimes I don't feel that I'm probably as good as what they were. Um, and other times I think, well, I, I suppose I've done that and done this and done that. But at the end of the day, we, we sort of all went out there to, to enjoy ourselves and do the best we could and, yeah, just have a bit of fun, really. Absolutely. And in 2000, uh, you went down to, to Eastbourne. Um, guys like uh, that you mentioned there, you mentioned kind of Joe Screen, Martin Dugard, David Norris, Steen Barker, what a, a kind of British backbone of a side and what a season it was. It played out on Sky, something that kind of sticks in my memory. It was yourselves basically going head to head for the league with the Kingsland Knights, as they were known back then, one for the one for the nerds for their, their pub quizzes, I suppose. <laughs> um, winning the league by by just two points. And then now obviously it came down to Kingsland had uh, the top two riders in the league and 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 Crump and, and Lee Adams are very potent top two. But you guys basically had the nucleus of very solid side guys that you could depend on getting eight, nine, ten, eleven points every meeting. 
I mean, yeah, and it was it was a great year. Um, and again, <laughs> that friendship bond all the way through the team happened again. Um, and I can remember it because if anyone had a sort of an half sort of off meeting, someone else would step up. And I can never, I remember Petra Coco was at reserve. And I think me and Dino might have had a, a meeting where we got six or seven. And Petri, he, he perked up with sort of 13 or 14 somewhere. And it, would, it always rolled like that. And it, it was like you was on crest of a wave. Um, and because we had all that fun and enjoyment and the sort of confidence about, about each other, it, it just worked. Um, and it, it's it's something that you it just sort of materialises over the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like Glasgow, they probably, they got it last year or this year. And they would know what that feeling is as well. And then there was a kind of, in and around that time, there was a lot about a kind of nomadic spell for yourself, certainly on British Speedway, you know, that kind of, obviously we, we touched on the London, there was Kings Law in Oxford, your Eastbourne, a couple of years at Wolves, Ipswich, before kind of settling back into a, a longer spell back at Arena Essex and Lakeside. And was that was kind of your choosing? Was that, again, the Scott would tell you the numbers game? Or, or was it just one of those things where it just so happened come the winter the first person that picked up the phone was the promoter or whatever one of those teams and you were happy to sign on the dotted line um the eastbourne one was that was a bit of a tricky one really because i wasn't an eastbourne asset i was owned by i think still at the time by terry russell and ivan emery um and obviously the averages something had to give well most of the riders in the team that year they were eastbourne's assets and they said look we're going to keep our own assets obviously and yeah, we're going to try and get you fixed up somewhere else. Um, so that's when I, I sort of, I, my dad said to me, where do you want to go then? I said, well, I'd love to get a Wolverhampton, dad. I, I like it there. Um, so I think dad even spoke to Chris and yeah, they sort of worked out a deal and, and away I went. Um, and it, to be honest, I would have probably stayed at Wolverhampton. I was, I was happy there. I enjoyed my speedway and, and blah, blah, blah. But it come about then that, there might have been a slim chance of Sittingbourne or Kent was going to be opening. Um, and Terry Russell said, look, there's an opportunity that we could be sort of opening up Kent. Would you be interested in coming there? And obviously it's 15 minutes from home. Um, so to have a, a track 15 minutes from home and have all those surroundings that I used to have at Lakeside or the arena and all the personnel, I thought, Jesus, it's a too good opportunity to, to sort of miss. And when it came to the end of the season, Chris said, I'd, I'd like to make you a permanent asset at Wolverhampton. Would you be up for it? And that's as soon as I am an ard, obviously Chris knew then that I probably had different ideas to what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, Chris, like, this is an opportunity. So that's fine. Go if you want to. And obviously he had to move on to, to get his team ready for the following season. And the Kent thing fell through. Um, and that's when I, I had to go to Ipswich. Um, and I didn't really enjoy Ipswich um, it, it, it didn't suit me one bit I wasn't happy there from day one um, and then I think it was halfway through the season I, I was ill um, and I flew and I remember coming back from a meeting on the Friday night and I said Dad I can't go Bellevue Monday if I feel like this and I got worse and worse and worse over the weekend. And I, I think I phoned Chris or John Lewin. I said, look, I'm not going to be able to make today. They said, look, if you don't come, Paul, we'll, we'll just replace you. I was like, yeah, but I'm not well. They said, well, that's all right, it's fine. Mm. So I, I had to go. So I dosed myself up. And at the time I told my mechanic the day before that I'm not going because I'm, I'm not very well, mate. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna put myself through it. Um, so yeah, I dosed myself up. Dad says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come with you then and give you a hand. And that's the day that I broke my arm. And I, sh- I should never have gone. Yeah. Never have gone. Amazing how fate works out like that sometimes, isn't it? Especially in Speedway, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, so hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, I should have just said, no, I'm not going. Drop me. Do what you want. But they, yeah. they, previously, a month before, Dad dropped me because I, just, I, I think I started the season at number two or four and I got to number three leader and then I dropped off a little bit and they said well we, we're going to replace you but we carry on riding for our it was when they'd done the two teams mm-hmm. we carry on riding for our sort of B team and I did and then I think they brought Boise in 
and he didn't perform. They said, oh, can you can you come back now? And that's when I come back. And I thought that's why I felt that I needed to be there because of the, the sort of pressure to carry my body to the team. Absolutely. And just just before uh, we kind of move on for that kind of era, because obviously between Eastbourne and Wolves, obviously the, the way you speak about it there, it's obviously tracks that you enjoyed. Um, but with, with Wolverhampton in, in 2002, was it strange to get into that playoff final? Essentially to win the league against your former club somewhere that you had you had a very good spell and you obviously had a relationship with the guys there as well. Um, was it strange getting into that final to go, go in and then ultimately win the league at a track that you won the league previously for that club? Yeah, it's funny that because when I was at the meeting, I think it was the second to last minute at Wolverhampton, I was talking to Pete Adams and he said, do you remember that home playoff leg that we had here? And I said, not really, Pete. He said, well, you were top scorer. And I, I completely forgot. Um, but yeah, like doing that, it was always, I wouldn't say stressful, but it was pressure. Um, obviously you're going back to a club you had a lot of success at and you've got to perform because you've got, you want to win the league. Um, so when obviously at the Wolverhampton at the first leg, I done all right. But then when I went back, like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first two races I got disqualified for knocking two people off and I was just, yeah, a bit too eager. But yeah, it was great times and it, looking back now, you can sort of laugh on laugh at them times. Obviously, with sort of Martin and Dino and, and Dave Norris riding against those. and But again, like I said before, being in the Wolverhampton team with Peter and Michael Colson and Sam, um, it's, I ended up working for, for PK for, I think it's five years as his mechanic. Um, and even now we sort of speak weekly. Um, so it's just how things work out, isn't it? And things that sort of bonds are built. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a sort of a great time. Yeah, and, and not kind of to bring the mood down, but you mentioned the, the broken arm there. And was was that the start of the arm problems that, that led to the year out? I think by, by the end of 2007, you just kind of couldn't carry on. I took the year out. Was was that kind of what instigated that? And it just built year on year. Every time you took another knock, it got worse and worse and worse. Yeah, it, it was. It was, Graham. It, um, it's funny because I've just sat or sat down at the weekend. Well, not that I can do a lot anyway. Um, I'm watching my OGP and I was watching the, the Mark Marquez interview. Um, and obviously he broke his arm two years ago. And I even said to one of my friends, he's Scott Smart, and he's, technical something to do with a technical endorner so he's at the gps and i said to him back then if he doesn't take time to let that heal he's going to struggle and obviously he was saying at the weekend now he didn't respect his body and he should have given it time and taken time away and it's exactly what i should have done and what i always thought or knew what i should have done um as soon as i'd done it um at bellevue I should have said, that's it. I'm not going to ride now until my arm's fully fully healed and I had full strength in it. Um, but I didn't. I tried to rush it and come back the following year. Um, and it never healed properly. Um, to start with, I put a, a rod down it um, and the fragments that broke off, they took out instead of sort of putting it back in and packing bone growth solution around it. Um, so it left a gap in it. And obviously where they put the rod down the center of the bone, the centre of the bone is the first part that heals. So it couldn't. So subsequently, the inside couldn't heal. The outside wasn't healing. Um, so it was a rush to get ready for 2004. Um, <clears throat> so I had it plated in hoping that I was going to make the start of the season and there was no way. And I'd already signed a contract with Lakeside to, to ride there. Um, so I tried to sort of push on. and I think I'll come back in May. Um, but again, it wasn't strong enough and I, I crashed and bent a plate and pulled the screws out and done something. So I went back to square one again. Um, and in 2005, it wasn't too bad, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't fully healed and fully sort of strong enough. Um, and it's, I think it snapped again at the end of that year. Um, so I think, you know, what it, it sort of, broke plates and bent plates six or seven times. Um, 
And I tried to soldier on in 2007 and the same thing happened. It, it actually put a plate down the back of it and it pulled the screws out of the bone. So it was sub subsequently, I could carry a toolbox because it was under tension. But if I was to, to squeeze a tea bag, I was in agony because it pulled the plate off of the, off the screws. Um, so that's when I said in 2007 that this, this can't go on, I've got to get it sorted. And I took 2008 out to, to get it right. There was your first problem, Paul. You never squeeze a tea bag. You just let it sit there. You So, so given everything that you've just said there, obviously that was an excruciating time. A lot of the, lot of the arm problems. So, in two thousand and nine, when obviously Paul then kind of got you back out of retirement, was there any reluctance whatsoever about coming back into Speedway? Was there still an itch to 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 race? There was obviously be an itch, an itch to race, but was there any? Any reluctance on you about about coming back, especially in in the top tier? Um, not really. I knew I wanted to come back. I wanted to ride again. Um, I I, I was sort of a little bit miffed. I didn't know what I wanted to do really. Yeah. Um, but again, like when I had them operations and my arm was strong enough, that was that's always been my aim. You always have to have like a goal at the end of it to to get yourself fit and be strong enough to to ride. Um. Because then you, you, if you can do that, then you're good enough for everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd done that and then, and then I started practicing a bit and people said, oh, well, you, know, you look all right. And then I got the call from, from Matt Ford about riding. Um, so I went to Paul and I was eager as anything to go and ride. But because I'd taken that season out, I didn't have the finances to go and buy a new kit. Um, so the bike that I was practicing on, that became my sort of main bike and then the club supplied me with a bike from John from Wessex Marine. Um, but like most riders, I'll tell you, it's not your own bike. Yep. And if you haven't got the finances to go and get two bikes set up for yourself and then you practice on them and you're, you're sort of set up from the start of the season, you're fighting an uphill battle from, from whenever you start. Um, so I never felt quite comfortable. Um, although I was scoring points and... I was doing all right and for, yeah, for sort of having a year out, it then come to the point where they needed to make changes. Um, and the rider they wanted to bring in, they, my average obviously had gone up and they couldn't keep, they couldn't keep sort of two of us they wanted to. Um, so they wanted to drop someone to bring one in, but they couldn't do that without dropping me. Um, and I said, that's fine. I've, I've come, I've come back. I've enjoyed myself, blah, blah, blah. Um, so when they announced that, I think, I don't know who they brought in, but I think Paul Fry took my place. Um, as soon as I announced it, then Swindon were on the phone, obviously Terry Russell again. Um, yeah, and I went there. And yeah, I've finally enjoyed myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then of course, you know, sadly the injury bug hit again a year later, a pretty, pretty horrific um, crash on the, the grass track that resulted in both both your legs broken and and that okay yeah we'll, we'll touch on the, the sort of Kent comeback decade later but that was that was pretty much it for for the speedway career at that point. Yeah, it was a bit of a shame really because that that year I'd sort of I'd invested in in equipment um, and I think I'd got I was on a, a maximum I think against Paul two or two weeks or three weeks before I had my accident. So I was probably going right, although I was back at Arena S6, around my little track that I, I could sort of still ride today. Um, and it was it was going right. And then obviously that happened. Um, and at that point, when I sort of woke up in the hospital, I've never ever thought, no, let's see, I'm not riding again. Sod that. I've always sort of, oh, well, we've got to deal with this now. And it, it never comes into my head about quitting. It's always, we just cross that hurdle that's been put in front of me um and so I, yeah I just took it in my stride and, and got fit and or got healed up and done what I had to do um but it was never a moment through that I think it was five or six years I think I didn't ride for before I can't remember um there was never a moment that I thought I'm never going to ride a bike again although I was told that um <laughs> yeah no I was always going to come back and do something 
absolutely. And it's Graham mentioned there, you managed to come back uh, kind of national league level in, in 2021 with, with Kent for what's like seven seven meetings you ended up doing there. You mentioned earlier, obviously, you had been mechanicing for, for Peter Carlson and stuff. So it's not as if you totally went away for the sport. Um you were still you still had inv- involvement there, but what was what was the thinking about coming back into the kind of Kent Kent side at that at that time? Was it surely just to be uh, kind of rider coach, or was it just you you wanted that you still had that competitive kind of edge in you? Um, it was probably the, the rider coach and sort of helping them out really. Um, in the time that I was off, um, I got involved with the AC or the ACU asked me to get involved with the youth, mm-hmm. um, and at the time we had sort of. Yeah, Zach Walsh, Net, Cole Bickley, a few of the young, young lads like that, James Shanes. Um, and so, I, yeah, obviously, Cole's quite a way up the country compared to me. And Zach, he's not that close, but he's not that far away. Um, and he was riding quite a bit of grass track at the time. Um, and so I, I got on, or I sort of got a bond with Zach and his dad. Um, and I travelled to most of the meetings with him as youth, and he, he won a few world youth championships. So then I, I just carried on helping him and he come up through the ranks and then he signed for Swindon and was doing quite well. And then the opportunity come for him to come to Lakeside. And obviously he said, would, would you help us there? Um, so I said, yeah, no problem. Cause I, I was going there most weeks. Um, and previous to that, I'd been helping Adam Shields. He was the first one that I helped when I was able to walk. Um, so I still had that bond with Lakeside and obviously with Zach. Um, and then I, thought, I can't remember who got injured, but they said, "Oh, like Paul, is your ear? Would you like? Would you step up and help us out?" And I said, "But yeah, I don't mind doing a few meetings if it's going to help you out, and I can sort of have a bit of fun with Zach and ride together and enjoy ourselves." And, and that's why I done it, um, purposely just to help sort of the team out, the young lads that were there. Um, and bearing in mind when I when I was out in two thousand and eight, I used to have an academy at Lakeside where we'd have all the youth out before the main meeting. Mm-hmm. And I had Ben Morley, Reese Naylor, um, Mark and something, Baysby's brother, Baysby boys. Um, and obviously Ben was riding for Lakeside as well. So there was always that sort of family sort of thing or friendship that I could still help him out and, and ride with him and just advise him, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we see it now. You mentioned it earlier, you know, I think last season you, you helped Scott Nichols a lot. And... And you know, we hear some of them when we do these, you know, once somebody's racing career is over, we, we talk to riders and they'll say, oh, I, I'm okay if I make it to a track once a year now. It's my life's moved on. It, it sounds very much like it. And from most of your questions and, and the way you've, you know, you've made it, you love the Speedway motorcycling. It, it sounds to me like you'll never not be involved in the sport as long as somebody comes and asks for help. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's, it's what I've been born into. Like I said at the start, I mean, I was three days old and I went to a grass track with my dad. And obviously then with going into Speedway, it's it's my way of life, you know. Um, and obviously now I'm on the track racing committee with the ACU, so I'm still doing my bit with the youth. Um, and through doing that, then I got sort of roped into going onto, onto the control board. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to give something back, um, but at the same time, make it easier for the lads that are coming up and just sort of, make it easier for them as well because I know how, how tough it is and to a degree what we need to do and, and what they need to do to to be successful and get where they want to be um but again it, it's it's a sign that Simo used to say to me you, you're never too old if you if you think you can ride and you're still enjoying yourself then why stop yeah <laughs> do, do you think that's something that's kind of lost with the sport as well as as Graham mentioned there I mean that the guys that we we've interviewed they're either heavily involved in the background with FIM or ACU or I've got training tracks or whatever or they've just completely fell away altogether there, there never seems to be a kind of medium medium ground where somebody kind of has the the balance from it you, you think we lose too many retired riders for the sport that could potentially help the next generation of, of, of riders um yeah i think there is um some of them can't communicate with riders they can't sort of get what they want to say across to the riders to get them to understand mm-hmm. that's always a, a, a job but you, you can get around that and you can help them to sort of do that um but yeah sometimes i feel maybe that the, the 
sort of federations could probably put a little bit more in um because yeah like uepl you're doing it just to make money you're doing it i don't make money from it whatsoever um it's done because i want to put back in and sort of help people enjoy what i've enjoyed um and you you don't want to see people get hurt at the end of the day you want them to go out there enjoy themselves have a good time do the best they can um and and at the end of the day you want british speedway to survive and and become better yeah and and you mentioned that there you're you're over british speedway and i guess that will then carry on and and I'm going to do Scott a favour here because I know he wants to ask about a specific meeting. So I'm going to lead you down a path here, as it were, Paul. But, you know, when you were in your career, what, what gave you more pride? You know, you, you rode for, for Team GB on the world stage. You represented your country. D- did that always give you more pride than, than maybe anything you did individually? It does, yeah. It, it, it's probably different feelings for different things. Um yeah, like World Cups and that, when you put on that England suit, you obviously, like, you. at the time, you probably think, oh, it's this is right for England, I've got to give it all. And and you, it's different. You know, you it's different riding for England representing your country to what it is individual. If, if you're riding individual, you're only letting yourself down. Um, but when you're riding for England, you've got that pressure of letting the others down as well. Um, and again... I was quite lucky that it, when the, the times I was in the England team, there was Mark, Joe, Avi, Scotty, Stoney. So we was all mates. It was never, ever an issue having a team spirit or team riding. It, we all sort of gelled and we all knew what everyone was thinking. And it was just great times. And it, it was good to sort of be away with them and, and experience that. Absolutely. And the meeting that, that Graham's kind of alluding to is that, I, I probably say this to friends, etc. That the probably my favourite meeting of all time was the two thousand and one race uh, runoff. Um, probably I think if I'm not mistaken, was the kind of first kind of format of this kind of new age kind of World Cup or Speedway Nations that we see today. Really, um, don't think the five rider races particularly went down that well. Um, <laughs> probably didn't get, uh, get brought back uh, for a few years after that at, at very minimum. But the meeting. I'm kind of speaking about here the, the runoff was against Denmark, United States, Czech Republic, and Russia. Uh, Britain team was Mark Laram, Stoney, the late Lee Richardson, yourself, and, and, and Harvey. Um, first of all, just how much fun was it to be involved in, in, in something like that? Because it was a rebranding of, of the kind of World Cup scene at, at that time, there was a lot of investment put into it. Um, it had the feel of a kind of massive kind of Grand Prix kind of uh, event. Just how fun was it to be kind of a, a part of that? It was great. Obviously, the boys were together again, me and Mark and and Stoney. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you, we all had team suits, all the mechanics had team mechanics wear. It, it was good. Um, and it, we were buzzing and everything was organised and it was sort of, the opening of, of that sort of thing, you know, it was more professional. I think that's where it started to sort of yeah, rise yeah. a bit. Um, and yeah, I don't, <laughs> the worst thing is where I, I crashed, obviously, in the first race. And I, I don't remember too much about that meeting. Um, although I went back out and rode, um, all I remember is I, I come back from that crash and all I could see was lights. I couldn't see where I was going or anything. I just flashing lights. That's all I could see for about an hour. And I remember missing one ride and Midlow come out and said, Paul, we need you to do a ride. And I looked and I thought, is he just said I've got to do a ride? <laughs> and yeah, I did. So it, yeah, and it, I was just gay. We never got through. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was a great experience to be away with them. Um, and yeah, like friendships would sort of match there again and away we went. Yeah. And it's, it's probably been the common theme hasn't it, at the discussion we've had here, Paul, is that friendship and camaraderie. And and, and again, do you think it in, in sort of Speedway today, do you think that's more prevalent or why? I think of guys now that we talk a lot about the rivalries maybe been gone because, you know, you'll be racing against a guy on a Monday at Bellevue and, and with him in Sweden on a Tuesday. 
So do you think maybe just behind the scenes that the friendships are still what they used to be? Or, or do you think now where maybe everyone's so focused and the professional, I'm not saying you guys weren't professionals, I don't mean it that way, but the professionalism now, you know, we hear guys talking about body weights and, and all this kind of stuff that there may be a little bit of that actually people remembering that this is a sport, it's a game. You know, people love, they're doing what they love for a living, they're lucky to do that. And do you think maybe that side of the sport's gone a little bit? It has. You're right. It has gone. Um, the fun aspect of things has gone. Um, and obviously, I notice it going around the tracks now with Scott. You, there's no camaraderie. There's no characters about you. We've got Bomber and we've got Scott that give it their all in, in every race. Um, and Sam Masters is like that. He's sort of, he's one of us. Um, but there's not many. Um, and like at Oxford this year, the, the camaraderie going through the pits that me and Scott try and keep going, you don't see that in other teams. Some of them, they don't even talk. And it's sort of, you could almost have individual pit bays because none of them want to mix. And it's 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 so sad. And it it's a shame that they can't sort of ex experience or appreciate what we had back then. Because um, at the end of the day, the whole team is is after the same result. So if you let your partner go, to, if he can overtake someone in front of you, all well and good. But they, they want to race each other now. They don't want to sort of help each other out. Um, and it, it's frustrating to watch as well at times because it is, like you say, it's a team sport, it's, it's entertainment um, and it should be fun. Obviously the Grand Prix and, and things like that are totally different. Um, they're more professional and to a degree that's gone a little bit to the point where riders are looking very sort of weak and lean and they don't look healthy some of the time um, because they're trying to get that last bit of power. Um, and it, it it's kind of spoiled a little bit, I think. Um, and in general, I think the whole way that Speedway has gone to a degree with the way the bikes are, the tracks are, the natural ability and the throttle control and the, that's all gone. Um you see them now that they, they sort of do four laps without shutting the throttle off once. Um, and it, it's just a shame um, when you see that sort of side of it has gone. But the danger level seems to have sort of reared its head a little bit again. Um, but, yeah, I suppose it's progression. And some of the riders, just up, the top riders say, you can't stop progressing, we're doing all right, we're doing this and we're doing that. But it it's for the ones that are lower down the kids that are coming through um you sort of got to try and look after and guide them absolutely um you mentioned just to take you kind of back to the start there's one name that i kind of want to bring up with yourself because as i say we could probably do another my life and speedway except it'd be a grass track one for yourself as well, <laughs> to be honest and um, we do apologize to any, any grass track fans that's maybe listened looking for kind of more grass track content but as i mentioned at the very start me and graham are knowledge is very limited on, on that side of the sport, uh, that sport. Um, but one name I kind of want to kind of bring up with you because I've seen uh, it was kind of an anniversary came up a few weeks ago and obviously the, the kind of era that you kind of grew up in within grass track uh, is kind of Simon Wig. Was he was he somebody that you, you looked at when you were younger in terms of wow, this guy's literally got it all? Yeah, that's who I wanted to be. Yeah. All I wanted to be was Wiggy. Um, and luckily enough, obviously, like I said before, my dad used to race and dad was friends with Julian, his, his brother. Um, and that first year that I mentioned when I was mascot, when Mark stepped up to the team, Simon was number one at Hackney. So obviously when that was announced, that was it. I was like, oh, like all my prayers, Christmases had come at once. <laughs> um, yeah. And then what can I say? That's that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be like. Um, and it, all the, the memories of what he, he used to do and how he used to carry on. Um, yeah. And then obviously I was lucky enough to, to be sponsored by a guy called John Gillard from SVR. He used to sponsor Exeter as well um, with Vans. And he sponsored Simon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, <clears throat> it, it was straight because I think he started sponsoring me in 96, 97. 
And it was a year that I went to Kings Lynn and luckily I, Simon was there then as number one. <clears throat> um, and because I'd obviously <clears throat> been a family friend for quite a while with Simon, known, obviously known dad, um, he used to call me Paulie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that year when I sort of stepped up a little bit on the grass track, I won the, the French Grand Prix. I won the British Masters. Um, and whenever I went to to King's Inn on a Wednesday, obviously you are parked next to him. He would, how'd you get on, mate? And I'd, I'd say, yeah, I won, Simon. And he'd put his arm around me and say, well done, Paulie, well done. And like, and that meant more to me than most things. Um, and then later on, when he'd sort of become a little bit ill, um, I'd done a meeting at Dalton Barracks, or Abingdon, at the Barracks there, Grass Track, the Berks Bonanza. And I was doing the Western Annapolis exit to the next day. So it was organised that I would go from the grass track down to John Gillard's in Yeovil and stay with him the night and a couple of days after. But Simon was also coming down with me. Um, so he came in the van, just me and him, after the grass track, went down to John's, spent all day Sunday, I think all, all day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I come home Thursday. And those three days spent with Simon were, yeah, were pretty cool. And then after that, there was a couple of times that I think I was at o Oxford or Coventry or somewhere, and I'd call him and pick him up and take him with me. So it was, yeah, I was sort of over the moon to spend those those days with him. And, and when you look back at, at your career at a whole now, is it things like that you would say you're more proud of? You know, the, the relationships you've met and kept up through it and the, the times you had, maybe rather than the medals and the trophy on the mantelpiece? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's those sort of those people that you, you you make friendships with, and even today when you see them, they've got a smile on their face to see you, and yeah, that means more. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong, winning the meetings that I've done and I've enjoyed them. Um, but yeah, it's the friendships that you make and the, the mates you've got now. Um, and it, it sort of, it says it all with like me and Scott, we've done what we've done in the sport, yet we go to a speedway meeting now. And it's very rarely we talk about speedway. Mm -hmm. um, but yet we go there, we do do the job that we need to do. Load up if he's had a bad one, we say, oh, well, mate, we we'll chat about that. And we talk about it for about half an hour on the way home. And then we move on to something different. And it it's just a, a nice way to be now. Absolutely. Do you, do you still enjoy the kind of mechanicing and being involved in that uh, in the sport as well now, Paul? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's 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 sort of the next best thing to riding. And obviously, when when Scott does well, I feel like I've won a race as well. Um, so yeah, I probably get a bit too involved, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just that feeling, you know. You, if you're passionate about something, then you're going to get that feeling back from it. Um, so yeah, I enjoy that. Even like washing bikes and that, I don't mind doing that if it. If it helps Scott win races, then you know, I'll do what what's needed. Yeah, and you know, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure um, going back over your career for the last or so. This might be the most redundant I've ever asked this question. We ask the same question to finish up every time. And and from all the stories you've told everyone went through, I, I could probably answer this question. And I know what I know is that the answer you're gonna give me. The last question is always looking back at your time in Speedway, or in this case, your life as a motorcyclist, if you had to do it all again. Would you? Yeah, without shadow of a doubt. I might not have gone to it to Bellevue that day, but yeah, I'll do it all again. <laughs> Fair play, Paul. Fair play. Well, thanks. Thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us, Paul. No worries. Thank you. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Graham, I thought that was absolutely excellent. It was good to hear such a varied kind of range of a, of a career. You mentioned it uh, when we were speaking before we spoke to Paul, that, that kind of that kind of variety, uh, an all-round motorcyclist, and that came through as we were speaking to him uh, during the interview as well. It wasn't just all about the shale. There was that commitment to the kind of grass track and long track scene 
uh, as well. And it was great to hear all those stories. And I thought um, the kind of words about Simon Wig at, at the end, I actually thought he was going to be a bit choked. At one, <laughs> one point, he obviously was his, was his absolute hero as well. And it, it's, it's good to hear that kind of emotion about guys um, that he's ridden with as well. You mentioned it during the interview. Look, it, it seems to me that, that kind of Paul's, kind of, what he's taken from his career is all the relationship that he's, relationships he's built up through that time. Yeah, it was nice to hear that. And, and kind of for me, that's what, what my life in Speed was all about, isn't it? Is these different characters, you know, guys like Jason Crump, single-minded, determination, focused, you know, a goal that he set and he went after it. You know, other guys, you know, funny stories, streaking naked across rugby pitches, nights in the <laughs> cells, that kind of stuff. And then for Paul, as he said himself, you know, the highlight and the thing he now takes out his career is the relationships, the friendships, the, the fact that he could rock up at any meeting, at any track, on any night of the week, anywhere in the UK, and there'll be a friend in the pits of Paul Hurries. And that's what he took out of it. And a guy that, you know, obviously, what's he now? If we, if we get kind of the Kent bit of it, 13, 14 years retired from racing, but still heavily involved, ACU, mechanican, and a guy that just has a real love for the sport. And, and what I like with some of the guys that we speak to as well is that obviously Paul mentioned that his dad was a, a kind of grass track rider, but even when he was explaining the story about uh, getting his first bike and stuff, there's, there is a, not big begging, but big steel and uh -huh. borrow to get get yourself on a track and when we speak speak to a lot of the guys in my life in Speedway it seems to be that kind of avenue that they've went down where they've had to go and get swap something in order to get a bike to race and and really progress through that way and I would have been interested to see how his trial went with Tottenham as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know we, we stay away from the politics of the sport for various reasons but if there's one gripe I always have is just how expensive it is for kids to get into these days you know and and that then leads further up that because of their outlay when they're going for team spots at 16 17 year old they're asking for top dollar and and you know what they deserve it because they're, they're spending a fortune to get to that level you know what was wrong with how it was in the 70s 80s 90s when we're developing riders all over the place guys would be showing up to meet and sharing bits I remember even as a youngster, my sort of formative years of reading the Speedway Star, and you'd go to the classifieds, and come the end of the season, it was almost two pages of people selling X, Y, and Z, and even seeing what names were selling it. You were always amazed that such and such rider was was getting rid of some bit of kit or something, and and yeah, I, I won't touch on that too much, but it's nice to hear some of these stories about you know, so make ourselves sound old, Scott. Simpler times back in our day, this was off fields. <laughs> Absolutely, but it was a great era for the sport when he was winning, winning championships with Eastbourne and uh, and and Wolverhampton. The meetings that you you remember well and watched on Sky and just it, it came at a great time. And obviously we got to see uh, quite a lot of Paul's career um, before obviously he had a gap uh, through injuries as, as well. And he has gone through quite a, quite an excruciating kind of process at the moment with his bone stretching in his leg. And we do thank him for taking. Uh, the the time to kind of talk to us because I know it's not been it's not been an easy kind of time for him as well, um kind of with with some speedway injuries of the the past. They know what they say the credit card bills due at some point, Graham, <laughs> uh, when it when it comes. But um yeah, it was great, and we do thank Paul for for joining us. Uh, that's going to be my life in speedway for this year. This is just the the first stage of these interviews. Uh, we'll be back in the new year with some big names uh, to kind of follow on for the remainder of. Of season two of My Life in Speedway. Um, don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook. Tw uh, well, I was going to say Twitter. That would be X these days. Uh, and Instagram for all the updates there. And of course, you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or uh, wherever you get your podcast, you'll be able to listen to us if you would rather listen on a different platform. Uh, but until the new year, have a very Merry Christmas, and we'll see you in the new year. Goodbye. Bye for now. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway.